Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Hi there. Welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. My next guest is an artist. Well, he's an artist at heart. Professionally, he leads a giant tech company. Which one comes first, the CEO or the artist? No, the CEO, for sure. At this point in time in my life, the CEO, no question. I'm delighted to introduce you to Antonio Neri, President and CEO of Hewlett Packard Enterprise. HPE has been severely impacted by the pandemic. COVID-19 has led to an unbelievable loss of life, wreaked havoc on the economy, and upended the way we live and work. Things may never go back to being the way they were. And in that, Neri sees an opportunity, an opportunity to connect everyone in the world. But we need to think about connectivity, not different than water and electricity. It is an essential service everybody has to get access to. The reality is at this point in time, everyone doesn't. The pandemic has exposed the digital divide. And uh, think about, you know, your families, you know, ordering food, ordering transportation from the power of the mobile phone. And, uh, and if you are not connected, you're not participating in that digital economy. And so to me, the first step in this significant acceleration of the digital transformation we are living is connectivity. Obviously it has to be seamless, it has to be ubiquitous, meaning available to everyone, and it has to be secure. And this is where we run into a potential scenario to where we create a digital divide, which is completely unacceptable. Neri spoke about what HPE is doing to bridge the divide, and we talked about a whole lot more. His experience in the Falklands War. I was young, I was only 15 years old, and I was not a military, but I was a civilian working in a military base. And so, but I learned a lot, and that gave me a good understanding about life, about sacrifices, and ultimately what I wanted to do next. Why he launched listening tours after the summer of social unrest last year, where the only thing we did was to bring people together, gender diversity, age diversity, racial diversity, whatever it was, and just listen. Don't talk, just listen. And it was amazing when you create an environment like that, that people come forward to tell their stories, to tell their stories. And I personally learned a lot. And eventually, I got him to speak about his art. And there's something that gives me peace, I guess, you know, you know, by definition, I'm an introvert person. People may don't realize that, but I need to get my space every so often uh, where, you know, arts give me that peace. You know, the moment where I can put my creativity to work and I relax and I think, you know. Here's Antonio Neri on Out of Office. Antonio, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you for having me today. Nice to see you. Antonio, I know you had COVID a few months ago. How are you now? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Yes, I was uh, uh, infected with COVID, contracted COVID in June 2020. You know, the good news, it was very mild for me, at least personally. I recovered very quickly. I did my quarantine in the two weeks. 
And the good news, after six months, I did the antibody test and I still have very strong antibodies. So that's a, that's a great news. Oh, well done. So no long COVID, none of those symptoms. You're okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Antonio, I've been looking forward to this conversation because I was excited to talk to the CEO of a big tech company, HPE. But also I was very excited to talk to somebody who is a professor of drawing and painting. Which one comes first, the CEO or the artist? No, the CEO, for sure. At this point in time in my life, the CEO, no question. No question. But to be fair, I'm trying to do some art along the way, just as a, as a way to distract myself, uh, to create a space for thinking. And it's a way also for me to relax. Uh, it's something I enjoy. Okay, we're going to come back to talk about your art in a bit. But I know that you were very personally involved with designing the headquarters of your company in San Jose, California, but you are in the process of moving your headquarters to Houston. Are you involved in designing your office space there? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as always, you learn a lot from prior experiences. It was a great privilege to uh, open this new site in the Bay Area, which is the core site uh, going forward for our Silicon Valley presence because we get the best of both worlds, right? So we get our tech hub, our innovation hub in the Silicon Valley, which you need to have a presence. And so we're gonna bring all our sites in, in the Bay Area into this beautiful site that we opened in February, 2019. And then we're moving our corporate offices to Houston, Texas, where I believe we have the opportunity to attract and, and retain diverse talent, which uh, is very critical to our future. And there we are building a brand new site which is going to be at least three times bigger than this one. I will apply all the learnings from this size into that side. So it's going to be a fun project. How do you think the physical environment of an office can affect the culture of a company or can it? Absolutely can. And, uh, and also the utilization of technology in the physical environment. Remember that the physical and digital worlds are coming together. We see that every day with our customers. A great example of that is transportation or whether it's manufacturing, healthcare. And for us, it's the same thing, right? We are a tech company uh, and in, a, in an innovative company, and we need to make sure our employees come to an environment which inspires them uh, to deliver on our purpose, which is to advance the way people live and work and make a contribution every single day. So the physical aspect of this is as important as the digital aspect, but we bring it together in an integrated experience. And I have to tell you, uh, it drives retention rates, it drives a better thinking and collaboration. And it's also the way that people think about the energy when you come to work, you know, it's a place you want to come every single day. So very excited, um, you know, and we're going to do it again at uh, Raising the Bar one more time. But Antonio, this is a really interesting time to be having this conversation about offices and the culture it creates because, you know, the pandemic has taught us that we don't really need to be in an office to work, right? The world's largest work from home experiment continues. Are we going to go back to work the way we've known work before? No, we are not, but definitely the office has a, a significant place in the way we operate as a community of innovators. So that's why we established what we call an edge to office program. Uh, where we have selected specific jobs that have to be in the office, um, you know, where they need to access to the tools, to the workbenches, um, and so forth. But then the edge uh, employees have the ability to come to the office anyway 
to collaborate, to, um, to have meetings, to drive the camaraderie that you need anyway, the social aspect of this, and obviously to host customers. So what we are doing is really bringing the best of the both worlds. And these new experiences we are creating in a new offices will drive that, uh, that new way to work. And obviously, digital technology is going to be embedded in everything we do. Because today, now we're going to be in a more distributed environment, which is the way uh, business will operate in the future. Well, we've been able to continue with most aspects of our lives, whether it's working from home or remote learning, telemedicine, online deliveries, groceries, so many things, largely because of the role of technology, right? Where do you think HPE has had the maximum impact or made the biggest difference to people's lives? Well, we are very proud of our purpose, our heritage, and, uh, and what we do for our customers and partners every single day. Remember, this is a, a, an iconic company that has made contribution for over 80 years in everything we have done. And uh, we are present in 100 plus, 170 countries where we contribute back to our communities and something that we, we are very, very proud of it. So think about the innovation we brought over the decades, right? Um, that's a great example, whether it's to power the, the largest financial institutions or whether it's to power the telecommunication industry. Even last week, um, I don't know, I'm not sure if you saw, we launched a supercomputer into space. Even in the Apollo 11 mission, all the sensors that uh, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had on the suit to monitor their vitals were all Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, or HP at the time. So it is something that we are very proud of it. And so we have tremendous amount of contribution over the years. And that's why our purpose to advance the way people even work is not just to make, um, you know, uh, a business contribution from the shareholder perspective, but also from the community standpoint. And this is where our strategy is spun on to enable these new experiences as we think about how people will live and how will uh, businesses will operate in the next decades to come. So technology has made our lives considerably easier during the pandemic. It's brought the world closer in many ways, you and me talking this way as well, virtual events. But on the flip side, it has also highlighted a lot of the inequality around the world. The digital divide is a very real problem. Where do you think the digital divide is actually the starkest? Which area? Well, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, we live in a digital economy, right? Everything uh, is powered by IT. Every business is an IT business today. And uh, think about, you know, your families, you know, ordering food, ordering transportation from the power of the mobile phone. And, uh, and if you are not connected, you're not participating in that digital economy. And so to me, the first step in this significant acceleration of the digital transformation we are living is connectivity. Obviously, it has to be seamless. It has to be ubiquitous, meaning available to everyone. It has to be secure. And this is where we run into a potential scenario to where we create a digital divide, which is completely unacceptable. We cannot afford to have privileged uh, aspects of the society only participate in that uh, economy. We have to have everyone be able to participate and prosper. And this is where Hewlett Packard Enterprise has a role to play, you know, to provide that secure, seamless uh, connectivity to everyone. 
When the pandemic started, the one thing we did right out of the gate is to help the communities rally behind connectivity. What we did was amazing. We have an amazing set of stories where our people went to cruise ships to retrofit those cruise ships to provide the connectivity inside the cruise ship so they can mobile hospital can be uh, standing up or even here on the parking lots for that matter. Or in some schools where they did not have Wi-Fi connectivity and we put that Wi-Fi in the parking lot so that the students from the remote learning can go through the parking lot, think about it, to download the homework and then go back home. But that points out a serious problem that we need to solve collectively and we have the technology to do so. You know, whether it's 5G or or uh, wireless connectivity through Wi-Fi, we can make that a reality because in the end, we need to power this new way, the way we live and the way we work through the connectivity. So that's the opportunity for us. And that's where myself and, and other people in our company have been uh, facilitating this issue with the Work Economic Forum, where basically we, we made a mandate in our, in our thinking that we need to solve this digital divide. And we made available some tools for companies, large, medium, and, and, and small, to be able to leverage those tools. So excited about it, but we need to think about connectivity, not different than water and electricity. It is an essential service everybody has to get access to. Is there any innovation that you've pursued as a result of the pandemic, you know, whether it's uh, uh, making connectivity better within a cruise ship or a parking lot so you can make connectivity uh, more readily available. Is anything that you've done as a result of the pandemic that you would like to then continue or scale up going forward? Yeah. You know, the one thing we learned from the pandemic is obviously when you have a crisis of this magnitude, which is unprecedented, right? is obviously the first challenge you have is preserve liquidity, right? Is, you know, how you preserve your capital to allow you to get to the pandemic while at the same time make the necessary investments or restructuring changes you need to do so when the pandemic gets uh, resolved, you come stronger. And this is where we saw a tremendous uptick in what we call consumption-driven models, which is why our vision is to become the edge to cloud platform as a service company. And so the one thing we're going to double down, accelerate is, is, as, is as, a service, as a service pivot as a company. We will be a consumption-driven company over the next three years. And everything we offer uh, underneath our portfolio will be available as a service. So you only pay for what you consume. And you have the elasticity mm -hmm. uh, to scale up or scale down based on your needs. And that, to me, is a very efficient model that we learned from the cloud, obviously. And that's why we are making sure that cloud experience is available to all the applications and data, wherever they live. Now, of course, we've had the pandemic, but we also had a summer of intense social unrest, particularly in the United States. And you've said that CEOs face unique pressures while navigating conversations around race and bias. And you went on to outline three recommendations for CEOs. One is to commit to culture, commit to equity, and commit to action. Tell us more about what you're doing as a CEO to honor these commitments. Well, let me start by saying that the events we experienced last year are completely unacceptable. It's hard to believe we as a human being, we sometimes act that way. And, um, and we, you know, especially myself in my position as CEO, of an iconic company, we have to take a stance. We have to speak up and we have to be visible 
not only what we say, but with our actions to address this fundamental problem that has been with us for many, many, many decades. And so uh, my commitment has been, we're going to take action. But first, we have to listen. And um, part of this journey uh, to address the, the challenge that we saw last year is to really understand and educate ourselves about the problem. And so one of the first things we did, uh, not just myself, but my entire uh, executive leadership team, and then cascading down into the organization, is to drop what we call listening tours, where the only thing we did was to bring people together, gender diversity, age diversity, racial diversity, whatever it was, and just listen. Don't talk, just listen. And it was amazing when you create an environment like that, that people come forward to tell their stories to tell the stories. And I personally learned a lot. You know, one of the stories that struck with me was um, an individual, an uh, African-American individual uh, that shared his story. He was a homeless um, that was suffering um, over many years. He was sleeping in a car in the parking lot of one of our sites in the United States. And he always dreamed that uh, would be working for that company, that he was sitting in the car. And now today he works for a company, but he shared all the, the challenges that he went in life. And so those are what I call teachable moments uh, where we have to educate ourselves. And the way we drive those conversation is as important as engaging in the conversation. And I think, you know, we, we are not yet understanding each other in many ways. And that was one of the things we did. Immediately after that, we rally our employee network, the employee resource groups, and our, our, our diversity efforts. And we instituted what we call the Inclusion and Diversity Council, which is formed from all employees across the company. And, uh, and in that, obviously, we, we let them drive with our executive team and management across the organization, what are the actions we need to, we need to drive. And those are, it's amazing, we had two hour sessions. <laughs> And the creativity and the inspiration you get from those conversations were simply amazing. And now we have a series of actions we are taking and making ourselves accountable to it. But ultimately, it has to become part of the culture, the fabric, who you are. And this is why, you know, when I became CEO, I established myself three critical priorities. Number one is obviously our customers and partners. Number two is our culture, how we do things, what we stand for. And then at the score of that was our team members. And number three is our innovation. And I, I'm proud of the work we have done, but the reality, we have way more work to do. And last year, it taught me we are nowhere near where we want to be, but we're going to take action and we're going to make a difference. Let me go back to the story of the gentleman who was sleeping in the car park. Yes, he now has a job at your company, but how did that experience influence your thinking as a CEO? What changes are you going to make or do you plan to make as a result of that incident? Well, I think, you know, when I think about sourcing talent, right, uh, we need to make sure that first and foremost, we think about inclusion and diversity mm -hmm. in the process of how we source talent. And then also what type of skill sets we need for different type of jobs. You know, the reality is that there are type of jobs that people are more than capable to do without having a PhD or master degree. You know, I'm a great example of that. So, um, you know, I started working, I was very young and I was an apprentice. Uh, and I have to tell you, I learned more over the years working the real job as an apprentice while I was completing my studies. 
So we got to think about how we bring that inclusion and diversity and giving everybody the opportunity in the equality of this, this journey so that people can come and contribute in company like ours and then grow from there by developing them, by giving them the opportunity to do what they aspire to do in life. I joined HP uh, in, 2000, in, in 1995, so this year will be 26 years as a company. I joined as a call center agent. And uh, I never, you know, dreamed to become the CEO of the company. But I, I was ambitious. I wanted to be a general manager of a business unit. And then, you know, I work hard, obviously. Um, but I had people that supported me throughout this journey. And as you know, one of the, the biggest jobs the CEO has is succession planning. I will, I will be remembered for the results of the company, for the innovation of the company. You know, that will be part of my legacy. But ultimately, what they're going to remember me is what I have done for our community and our people, because that's what you bring with you, you know, whatever the next chapter of your life is. And that's very close to my values. That's what I care. When you, say, you said you were an apprentice and you learned the most as an apprentice, you were an apprentice on a Navy ship. Is that right? I was an apprentice in a Navy military base uh, where basically I went inside the Navy uh, base uh, for middle school. And basically, uh, you will pick a, um, a, a career in that, you know, whatever domain you wanted to, to, to do, whether it was an electrician and or an electronic engineer and so forth. In that context, um, you know, I, I learned a lot by repairing rather than sonars on those ships. And unfortunately, I was caught during the, the conflict between the UK and Argentina in the Falklands War. And uh, that was a very telling moment for me in my life, right? Um, because I was young. I was only 15 years old. And I was not the military, but I was a civilian working in a military base. And so, but I learned a lot. And that gave me a good understanding about life, about sacrifices, and ultimately what I wanted to do next. You saw some pretty grim things. You were close to some unfortunate incidents. Tell us a little bit about uh, those experiences. I know you saw death up fairly close and personal. So tell us a little bit about that experience and, you know, how that shaped you. Well, I mean, it shakes you at the core of your values, right? So first, you know, it is about the human being, right? That's why we have a say in our cultural blueprint. Solve humanity with humanity, right? Never forget that we're all human beings. We all have different core values and aspirations, but that to me becomes the essence of who I am. You know, and to me, you know, I, I want to do the right thing by the people and by the company. But in the end, you focus on, on what is, is important to support those human beings next to you. And, uh, you know, and then it reminds you what is important in life all the time. Right. That's why, you know, the world life balance and making contributions to the communities you are in, you know, um, standing up for events like we saw last year. To me, those are natural things I do as a leader uh, because that's the way I grew up. And to your point, you know, I've seen things that uh, obviously uh, teach you a lot. You know, you cannot learn those experiences by going to a school is the way you grow up and the way your parents teach you how to uh, to behave. Speaking of your parents, I know you come from a very tight-knit family, and your, your parents are from Italy, but you grew up between Italy and Argentina, is that right? Yes, my we come from a very large family. Uh, my, uh, my both parents are Sicilians, born and raised in Sicily, 
they immigrated, right, um, to look for a better future in the 50s. I was born in Argentina, but I grew up both in Argentina and Italy. Yes. And uh, so I have an understanding of both cultures. And your parents really imbibed in you a the sense of uh, hard work and discipline, because I've heard you say before, your parents really only had a third grade education, but they worked hard. Yeah, I mean, they have no choice, unfortunately. You know, I remember um, they went through World War II um, and uh, both, you know, grew up during that time. My father was 13 years old when the war started and he, the two brothers, were uh, the, basically the providers for the family. Uh, the older brother was 16, the younger brother was 10, because my grandfather, um, you know, unfortunately, was drafted twice, World War I and World War II. And just recently, I did a whole ancestry, uh, ancestry uh, study of him, you know, going back to the uh, 1700, and obviously he was born in the 1800s. And uh, I was able to now capture all the photos on all the places where he was deployed. Mm -hmm. Here you go. He was in World War One, World War Two, and so their their kids had to figure out how to move through those tough times. And one of the core beliefs, right? You have to work hard. It's all about sacrifices in life, and that obviously stuck with me. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Then you said you started working at HP at a call center, right? You also met your wife at the call center, is that right? I did. I did. Yeah, that was in Amsterdam in Holland. Yeah, 1995. Wow. So HP has been special for you in many ways, not just professionally. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 you know to me, I'm a reflection of HP, uh, although this is not my first job, right? So when I joined HP 95, I was already you know, almost for 10 years in the workforce between Argentina and another company in Italy. But in the end, I have worked now tw almost 26 years and I totally reflect myself on the values of this company, which is very, very special, which is a very, very special company. And you said when you got hired at HP, you always appreciate the fact that somebody took a chance on you. You weren't the most obvious candidate, but you had tremendous language skills because you speak four languages and somebody decided that they should take a chance on you. And that's become important to you, right? To give somebody a chance, even though he or she may not be the most obvious candidate on paper. You know, you know over the years, I learned, you know, to um, manage people, deal with people and your instincts will guide you. But, you know, in my case, the experience was unique. Uh, we had a, um, a British Jamaican manager, which was looking for someone who spoke Italian and Spanish that was very proficient with certain technologies of the time. You know, in the time, remember, that time was PC client servers was the architecture where it was taking hold from the traditional mainframe terminal 
kind of uh, solutions. And, uh, but it was hard to find someone in Amsterdam who spoke Italian and Spanish, because generally you find, you know, those who speak German, French, the Nordic languages and so forth. But my English proficiency wasn't that great. And so he gave me the chance, you know, and said, don't worry about his English. We're going to teach him English. He's very strong technically, and he speaks Italian and Spanish. If it was not for him, I would not be here. That's, that's the bottom line. He took a chance on me. He made me the, gave me the opportunity, and you know, that's what we need to do the same over and over and over with key people. And is that something that plays in your mind when it comes to hiring people? Absolutely. And again, you know, when I look for hiring people, obviously I look for the qualifications. But at the same time, what is their attitude? What are their ambitions? What they care about it, right? Versus just the actual job. Because in the end, you're bringing not just an engineer, you're bringing someone that you want to uh, adopt and, and accelerate that culture that we talked early on. So for me, it's more than just, you know, the best engineer possible. It's about making a contribution, feeling proud of joining a company like ours and, and be one of those champions that advances and, you know, and sponsors who we are and what we stand for. So it's a combination of multiple factors that uh, we always look at it. You talk a lot about the culture of your company. And a lot of your colleagues have said that the one thing you really care about is the culture, what kind of culture you create at a company. So I have two questions here. What, how would you describe the culture at HPE? And also, how do you make sure that you pass on your value system? How can a CEO make sure that his or her value system then permeates through the whole company so that everybody else sort of shares the same values or shares the same culture that, that you want in the company? Because I understand the DNA of the company, how the, the company works, it gives me a little bit of an advantage, right? Because I work at all levels of the company. I mean, I can talk to an individual in the call center as I, as I can talk to one of the members of my staff, and in between, doesn't matter. For me, it's the same thing. And um, I personally am very curious about things. Um, I want to know how things works and what is in the mind of people, because that's where innovation happens, right? When you create an environment where people are comfortable telling you what's going on, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also how you harvest innovation, because innovation lives everywhere. And so for me, the culture is created that open environment, which is inclusive, right? Where everybody has a voice, uh, where, you know, yes, it's a constructive, you know, consensus-driven approach, but ultimately we have a say in our company. When we make the decision is commit and go. The decision is made and everybody has to rally behind that decision and support it. And whoever leads that, that project or that, that product, once that decision is made, we commit and go. And that's where, you know, we, I'm, stu- I'm stuck with our four core beliefs. You know, one of our core beliefs is we accelerate what is next for our customers. It's all about speed and agility. It's all about moving fast. You are in IT industry. This is one of the industries that moves at incredible light and speed. We also need to be courageous. We have to make some bold decisions. So take some bold moves, right? That's why we say we, we, we make bold moves. The third one is, is the power. Yes, we can. You know, I'm an optimistic by definition, I always, you know, look at the future with optimism. Even in today's, you know, environment, you know, obviously a lot of hard time has gone by here. But as I think about 
this year and and the next year and the years to come. I think about uh, the future with optimism. Obviously, the vaccine is a marvel of innovation. We are proud to have supported researchers in universities with our systems to process data at the level we've never seen before. Nobody could have imagined that uh, we could get to a vaccine in nine months. That's because we have obviously tremendous research in pharmaceutical companies, but now we have tremendous computational power to crunch data that normally we have take 18 months. Now we can do it in seconds. So that that's something that, you know, we think about the power, yes, we can. You know, you want someone walks in the door and is positive, that has that energy that instills others to come along. And last but not least, being a force for good, right? So those are the four core beliefs that we, we, we drive ourselves. You asked early on how we bring this together in our, in our space. When you work in our building here, you see all those core beliefs everywhere. In the elevators, in our PCs when we log every day, in our signage. So it becomes part of the fabric. And my job is to walk the talk and, uh, mm-hmm. and basically exhibit those values every single day. I want to go back to your art. At the beginning of our conversation, I asked you which one comes first, the artist or the CEO. You were very clear that the CEO comes first at this point in your life. But let's go back to a point in your life when perhaps art was more important. And how did you really get interested in art? Well, you know, uh, it was important in my teenager days, right? So I started very young, you know, at the age of 13, and I studied for almost nine years. And, um, you know, I'm a you know, professor in arts in terms of oil painting and drawing. And there's something that gives me peace, I guess. You know, you know, by definition, I'm an introvert person. People may don't realize that but I'm an introvert really? person, which means I need to get my space every so often. Uh, where, you know, art gives me that peace. You know, the moment where I can put my creativity to work and I relax and I think. One of the challenges you have as CEO is that you need to create capacity to think because obviously everything happens quickly. Do you get time to do that? When, when do you get time? Yeah, in the weekends, right? You think about it, you know, that's where, you know, uh, as, a, as a son of Sicilians, I value work-life balance. You know, I have two passions. One is art and the other one is soccer. In my Houston location, I get to play soccer every Sunday with my Argentinian friends, you know, and it's something that releases that stress. And, but the problem is once you are in the field, it's all about winning <laughs> because we as Argentinian take soccer incredibly seriously. Once we are on the field, we all want to win, uh, even though we are getting old for that. But, uh, but yes, you know, uh, something I aspire to go back uh, once, you know, whatever my next chapter of my life is, how many years out, I don't know. But I will say, you know, if I will start my career again, I'm an engineer by trade and an artist on the other side. So I get kind of both sides of my brain working. I would probably be an architect. And this is why, you know, because you get the engineering side and the art side. Yeah. This is why I enjoy doing the, the projects with this building or the Houston building. I get to apply, you know, that thinking on something that's really fun. It motivates me tremendously. Do you have a studio at home? I do. I do. You know, I have a drafting table and, uh, you know, I can, I can paint any time, you know. And it's just, you have to, it has to happen, right? It's like not different than writing a book. You have to be inspired in the moment, and then you just put that inspiration to the pencil or through the brush, and you just let it free flow. And while you do that, you think, and you reflect about whatever is going on in your life or whatever is going on in the business. But it's a, it's a good time to disconnect uh, for at least a period of time. 
from what's going on. Since you're the CEO and since you are involved in designing your headquarters, are you going to have a studio in your offices? No, uh, but I hope to uh, <laughs> hang some paintings that uh, uh, I will be doing along the way. Fantastic. Your own paintings. Yes. And football. I've been meaning to ask you. So there's a lot of talk about Messi and how he may be coming to Man City. What are your thoughts? Well, that's a difficult uh, subject. I will say, obviously, Messi is an amazing player. You know, it's a force of uh, what I call a, a force of nature, right? It's one of those uh, in millions that uh, he was blessed with an amazing talent. But I have to tell you, mm-hmm. There are so many Messi in Argentina because it's kind of a natural thing that happens when you are young. It's hard to explain at the age of four or five years old how many of those people are out there. And some are privileged to make it all the way to the way Messi did, uh, as, he, as he Maradona did in his own time, which was uh, uh, someone I met and I was able to play uh, a game, which obviously is a remarkable experience for me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where he's going to end up. I think he's one of those people that are really close to the roots. He loves Barcelona, and it's a tough decision for him to decide where he's going to go. Antonio, what do you do when you're out of the office? What's your favorite thing to do? Well, I reconnect with my kids, right? So they are an age of um, that's very interesting. My son is a senior year, and uh, my daughter is already a sophomore in the university. And as you know, they become fairly independent and it's easy for them to forget about the dad. And so I, <laughs> I, one of the things, one of my habits is to call them every day and I demand them to call me as well. Uh, because, you know, even though it's five minutes, it doesn't matter. It's how it's going, you know, are you on track? Um, what bothers you? And uh, make sure that that connection is there um, all the time. So that's one of the things I, I really um, enjoy doing because it's, it's, it's an important time, you know. One of the concerns I have with the pandemic is the impact that uh, the pandemic is having to this generation, right? Depression, anxiety. Uh, they are missing a big part of their life, I guess, um, which is something I took advantage in my own time, even though it was different times. But uh, yeah, that's important. Very, very important. Absolutely. Family comes first always. Antonio Neri, thank you so much for joining me on Out of Office. Thank you for having me today. That was my conversation with Antonio Neri, President and CEO of Hewlett Packard Enterprise. He has such an interesting story, the art, the experience of war, and of course, the business acumen. All these make him such an inspiring leader. I hope you enjoyed the chat. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. We're on Twitter, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Stay well. I'll see you in two weeks. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, and watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV Plus.